Now, Jeremiah chapter 50, we're looking at gospel jewels, gospel gems in Jeremiah. I've only got a few left. And in this chapter, there's a turning point in the book of Jeremiah. If you've been following up till this point, you will realize that Jeremiah is a broken man with a broken message. He has been given God's word to proclaim against the people of God, warning them about God's judgments, sending the Babylonians to besiege Jerusalem and to take them into captivity, into Babylon, and that has happened. And Jeremiah then has been used of God to comfort uh, the big middle part of the book, uh, verse uh, chapters 30 to 33, the book of consolation, to comfort the uh, people uh, who are captive in Babylon. And now in chapter 50, there is a turning around. This is God's word, not against Judah anymore, but against Babylon, against Babylon. After 70 years in captivity, God's people are being released. And so the book ends on a high note. And I've got three things to say about the people of God being released from Babylon. And this is the gospel gem. And I've used the three R's. Uh, Do some of you remember? Uh, I'm probably too young Uh, to have been taught the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Reading, writing, arithmetic, those basic components. And here we have three R's when it comes to the gospel jewel that is in this chapter. There's actually another jewel here which we'll consider later on. The first R is ruin, Ruin. God's proclamation against the superpower of the day, Babylon the Great. The chapter begins with the trumpet sound of the word of God, the word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans. Babylon is taken. Baal is shamed, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are humiliated, her images are broken in pieces. Who would have thought that the greatest power at that time would come to ruins? And of course, it's not just Babylon. In the Bible, Babylon is used as a metaphor for the world and all of its great empires. In the book of Revelation, the Roman Empire is described as Babylon the Great. I had the privilege of visiting Rome over the Easter holidays. And what has become of the great Roman Empire now? Ruins. Some of them are awesome ruins, but it is still ruins. And if you were to go to present-day Iraq, where Babylon was, what would you see? Uh, Even less evidence. Uh, Like uh, Shelley's poem, Mozymandias, you will just see ruins in the sand. 
That's what's become of the greatest empire of the Old Testament. And one day, uh, the great empires of our world today will be no more. Have you seen the film, The Day After Tomorrow, where you have the uh, Manhattan skyline uh, after a cataclysmic climate event? You just see uh, that ruined. The Chinese uh, empire, which is going to be the next great empire, will one day be no more. Our God is on the throne not any earthly ruler. It's not Putin who will have the last word. It is King Jesus. So this is my first point. The ruin that has come upon Babylon. I tried to bring it out in the reading. Uh, the staccato nature of God's judgment against Babylon. Uh, you had it from verse 21 Onwards, It's like a rap. Uh, just one hammer blow after another. Uh, I, I haven't got time to go through it all, but Babylon had been hammering the nations. That's one picture that's being used. And now the hammer was going to be hammered. I, I, isn't that interesting? Babylon had been trapping Jerusalem, laying siege to her. Now it was the one that had been doing the trapping that was going to be trapped. Babylon had destroyed not just Judah, but all the surrounding nations in her lust for power. Now it was the destroyer that was going to be destroyed. Babylon had been hunting after what didn't belong to her. Now the hunter was going to be hunted and you know what one day the fall of Babylon the decline and fall of the Roman Empire the fall of other empires of this world will fade into insignificance in comparison to the greatest cataclysmic events ever this is what uh, Babylon and its fall is used as throughout the rest of the Bible there is going to be a day of judgment upon the whole world this world is going to be laid waste when I was converted one of the things that came to my mind was this, am I ready? Am I ready to die? Am I ready for the day of judgment? And I knew I wasn't. I knew that I was a sinner, that I wasn't right with my maker. And man is appointed once to die, and after that, the judgments. So it doesn't matter if it's our own death or if it's the second coming of Christ. It's all leading to the same place. And I realized I needed to be saved from that. And that's what got me seeking Jesus Christ. And I got into the music of Bob Dylan. Because Bob Dylan had made a profession of faith. And this song about the second coming of Jesus, written by Bob Dylan, 
it really got to me. Let me just read a few lines. The Iron Man, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's Caesar, whether it's Putin, the Iron Man is no match for the Iron Rod. The strongest wall will crumble and fall to this mighty God. For all those who have eyes and all those who have ears, it is only he who can reduce me to tears. Don't you cry and don't you die. And don't you burn. Like a thief in the night, he'll replace wrong with right when he returns. Yes, he'll replace wrong with right. But are we ready? Are we ready? As we sang at the start of our service, the kingdoms of this world lie in his hands. See how they rise and fall at its command. We, we rightly are being warned about global warming, that if we're not going to look after the planet, which we've been entrusted as stewards, uh, then there could be disasters, as we have experienced these last few years. But the church seems strangely silent about the cataclysmic events that you can't escape from in the pages of the Bible, the day of judgment, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Are you, am I ready? Am I ready? Ruin. We're all ruined by the fall. It's not just the kingdoms of this world. It's us personally, the children's story, the image of God has been marred in us. So, like me, when I came to realize in Aberystwyth that I needed to be saved from judgment, I would have admitted that I wasn't perfect. But me, a sinner, needing to be saved? Me, a chapel-goer, a do-gooder, needing to be saved? Oh, yes. We all need to be saved because we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark of the glory of God. As Andy was reminding us last Sunday morning, there is an exam. There is an exam. Some of you are still doing exams or have you finished by now? But there is another exam. When I did my GCSEs, we had a history teacher who I think was a Christian because she told us, don't worry, don't worry about uh, this exam. At the end of the day, it's only a human exam. And then she said, there's another exam you need to be more concerned about. And that is standing before your creator. And God's pass mark is 100%. And none of us, none of us have passed. So does this make you fear? It should. It should make us fear, myself included. To all those who have eyes, to all those who have ears. Have we got eyes to see? Have we got ears to hear? So ruin, ruin. Let's look at the second R. If the Bible only spoke about ruin, there would be no point for us meeting together this morning. There would be no point in us singing God's praises. There would be no good news. But there is a second R. Do you know what it is? Redemption. Redemption. And this is like a song, isn't it? Redemption song. 
What is redemption? Redemption is being released from a state of captivity. So there is a redeemer who pays the redemption, the penalty, the ransom in order to let people go free. Think of a hostage situation. Hostages are redeemed on the payment of a ransom. Now, just as Babylon is used as a metaphor for the world and the fall of Babylon, for the judgment that is to come, so the captivity in Babylon is like a motif. If you listen to an opera, there's a recurring theme throughout the opera. It's repeated throughout. It's like a musical uh, theme, a musical lick. And the motif throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament is captivity and being redeemed from captivity. So here, the captivity is Babylonish captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. Earlier on, there's another captivity that's an even bigger motif, and that's the captivity in Egypt, uh, the bondage that the children of Israel were under in Egypt. And there was an exodus, a redemption from Egypt. And now there's going to be freedom from Babylonish captivity. Uh, This is the wonder of this chapter. Who is strong enough to release the bonds of captivity? Not a single Jew was able to do it in his own strength. Who would be strong enough to resist the might of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man at the time? Who could withstand the might of the Pharaoh in Moses' day? Not Moses. Moses couldn't even speak. He needed Aaron as his mouthpiece. What's the good news? Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't let the people go. He was stubborn, just like Pharaoh. But God says, you will, because I'm going to command you. This is the good news. Redemption song. uh, Verse number 34. The Redeemer is strong. Praise God. We can't release ourselves. Actually, the more we try to free ourselves from sin, the worse it gets. Haven't you found that to be the case? You're struggling against something, and you're trying to deal with it. And the more you try to deal with it, the more entangled you get. It's like when you have to mow the lawn. And if you don't often mow the lawn, as some of us, uh, the cable in the lawnmower has got entangled. And then you try to untangle it. But the more you try to untangle it, the more of a mess it gets into. And how much more we've got ourselves entangled in sin, entangled, not uh, to the devil, uh, not to the power of Nebuchadnezzar, but the power of Satan. He's stronger than any of us. The strong man armed. Who can withstand the power of Satan? None of us can. But there is a strong redeemer. There is a strong redeemer. 
we foolishly think, don't we? Th this is one of the great weaknesses of our generation. We think that we're free. We really think that we've released ourselves from the shackles of the Victorians. But this generation is more bound than ever. But there is a strong redeemer in Jesus Christ. Uh, the word for redeemer here, this is very significant. It actually means kinsman redeemer. What's a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer is somebody who's related to the people that are in captivity, who becomes their redeemer and pays the ransom so that they can be freed. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is. The Lord Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. God is the only one that's strong enough to withstand the devil. Only God can defeat Satan. Only God can release us from uh, sin and from hell. And yet, a holy God can't just allow us to go free. A holy God must punish sin. And so, something has to be done. And this is God's way of salvation. This is the redemption. God sends somebody. God doesn't just send an angel. God doesn't just send a prophet. But God comes himself. And God becomes a man. So that Jesus Christ becomes a kinsman. The eternal God becomes one of us. Jesus Christ was born of a woman, just as you and I were born. He was born under the law. Jesus Christ puts himself under all the ceremonies of the Old Testament. Uh, he kept the law of God to the smallest jots and tittle, the, jot, the dots and the, the marks in the Hebrew alphabet, are the jots and the tittle. So there is a kinsman redeemer, and Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the power of sin by going to the cross. Oh, my friends, this is wonderful because the children of Israel were released from Babylon after 70 years. 70 years. Do you know what 70 years is in the Bible? Some of you are past 70. You know, 70 years is the lifespan of human beings. In the Bible, God has given us 70 years. So if you're over 70, you're living on borrowed time. That's quite sobering, isn't it? I'm living on borrowed time. Well, we're all uncertain as to how long we've got. But if you're over 70 years, it's even more vital for you to know if you're right with God. So 70 years the children of Israel were in captivity to Babylon. 70 years human lifespan for all our existence. We're in bondage to sin, Satan and hell. We can't. We can't do anything about it. But God sends Jesus, the kinsman redeemer, and Jesus releases us. You know, when the children of Israel were freed from Egypt, when they were released from Babylon, it was at the expense of the Egyptians, at the expense of the Babylonians. They took, didn't they, great plunder, treasures from Egypt, and the children of Israel were released from Babylon, and Babylon was judged instead. But do you know what the wonder of Jesus coming as our kinsman redeemer? We are redeemed not at expense to ourselves. We are redeemed at expense to Jesus Christ. We didn't have anything to pay God. 
wasn't that a wonderful hymn we just sang? What mighty sum paid all my debts when I a bankrupt stood. A number of years ago, I was shopping in supermarkets and I only had cash on me and I didn't have quite enough to pay. I didn't have quite enough to pay. And the woman at the till said, it doesn't matter, love. <laughs> I'll make up the rest. I'll make up the rest. And I said, that, I've never had that happen to me before. I, I said, thank you very much. I'll have to come here again. And you know what she said? She said to me and the person who was behind me, that's what we do. That's the kind of thing we do. You know, that's very pale, isn't it, as an illustration, in comparison to what God has done. Jesus Christ willingly becoming a curse. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us. It was at his expense that Jesus Christ paid the penalty. He has my life in credit set, and it's Jesus' precious blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial blood. The blood signified not just the life, but the death of an innocent victim. And the blood of Jesus Christ is unlike any other human blood. It is divine blood. It is the blood of the innocent Son of God being made sin for you and for me. That's why there is power in the blood, wonder-working power. Oh, precious blood, it covers me. It takes away the stain of sin. Such power there is contained with Jesus' precious blood. We have been redeemed. Do you know that? Not with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile way of life that we had before, but we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How do I know that he loves me? I know he loves me because at great cost to himself, he came down. The power of love. He was moved by his almighty love to come to earth below. You should never doubt whether Jesus Christ loves you because you're too much of a sinner. He does because he was willing to pay the ultimate, to take your curse upon himself. And God the Father loves. God the Father loves. So, in the Greek, it's so God loved the world that he was willing to give his greatest gift, his only begotten son. Redemption. Are you glad this morning that our God is a redeemer God? Not just a creator God, but a redeemer God. So we can gather together in God's house and praise him for his work of creation. And that's an amazing thing. But to be able to praise him for the work of redemption. And then there's one final ad. I've just got to do this quickly. Ruin, redemption, repentance, repentance. We've heard a lot about repentance, haven't we? What is repentance? Well, there's a beautiful illustration of repentance in this chapter. That's why I read the first few verses. Here, God has set the command, let my people go. The price has been paid. God is declaring in the gospel this morning, let my people go. Satan, you haven't got a hold on them anymore. Sin doesn't need to damn them anymore. There is a redeemer in my son, Jesus Christ. Let them go. That's the decree. But we need to respond to it. 
And our response is called repentance. And there's a beautiful picture of repentance in the first few verses. God has told his people, you can go. You're free. And in those days, verse 4, in that time, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. It was Judah that was taken captive into Babylon. Israel, the northern uh, tribes, they were taken captive a few centuries before. And now they're all coming together. They've all been humbled. They're all in the same place. This is what happens, you see, when we respond to the gospel. There is no better than me. We're all in the same position, sinners in need of salvation. And so the children of Israel and the children of Judah, together with continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God, and they shall ask the way to Zion. I like that. I'm too proud often to ask the way if I get lost. I've got a degree in geography. Who am I to ask someone else the way? And there are people like that when it comes to the way to heaven, the way of salvation. Ultimately, see, we're just too proud. Pride is the sin of sins. And when a person is being converted, one of the first signs is that pride has been broken. And they say, I'm lost, I'm lost. And I want you to tell me the way. That's what the church is. We're here. We're not a bunch of religious people. This is not a religious club. May God deliver us from ever becoming a religious club. We're not a group of do-gooders. May God deliver us from being that. We're a group of people who have realized that we're lost, sinners, helpless, and we've called on Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, to save us, and he's done it. And we are now the redeemed people of God, and we are traveling home. We are going from captivity, and we're going home to Zion, to Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what we are. And you know what? We want to tell everybody else the way. Because Jesus is the way. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Notice the weeping that is mentioned here. We're not weeping, are we? With continual weeping, they shall come. We are just experts in all sorts of things, but we don't weep. The Puritans used to say, the way to heaven is by weeping cross. Have we ever wept because of our sin? Have we ever wept because we've realized that Jesus Christ has loved a sinner like me? Has he ever reduced us to tears? I am the way. You know there is redemption in Jesus Christ, don't you? You know. From coming to this church, you know the gospel. But are you on the way? There's one thing, isn't there, uh, that we need to do. It's not enough to know about. It's to know. Have you ever given directions to people? I tried doing it once, and I didn't do a good job. I was trying to explain to the person, you must go down that road... And then when you get to the bottom, 
you must turn right, and then you need to go up that hill, and then you'll come to a fork in the road, and then you need to turn left, and then you need to carry on up the hill, and then round the bend, and then after a few hundred yards, you'll come to a crossroads, and then you need to turn left there, and then you need to go down that road, and then you need to turn right, and you're there. And the person was more confused afterwards than when he first asked. Can we give clear directions to heaven? Do you know the way? And if you do know the way, can you point others the way? Thank God for clarity in the Bible. Thank God that this book is the map that takes us to Jesus Christ. See, seek the Lord first. Jesus says, I am the way. Come to me, come. Don't wait until you're better. We don't go through a period where we're repenting and then we come to believe. Oh no, repentance is in faith. And true faith is not easy believism. It's a repentant faith. So whenever the Bible uses the word repent, it also means to believe. And whenever the Bible uses the word believe, it also implies to repent. What is it to repent? It's realizing that we are lost. And it's realizing that we're going the wrong way. And then it's turning to the right way. What is it to repent? To repent is to hate my sin and to realize that I can't deliver myself from it. And to turn to one who is the strong redeemer. You see, repentance and faith are like Siamese twins. You've got to have them together. And then you set your face towards it. Seek the Lord. Ask the way to Zion. Set your face towards it. I know uh, there is a good, a good uh, place to be. The church is a good place to be. It's good for us to be back here after lockdown. If you want to find the way to heaven, if you want to be redeemed, you're in the right place. But we turn, we turn towards Jesus. We don't trust in our church to get us to heaven. We trust in Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. Uh, Spurgeon's sermon on these verses has the following quotation, and I'll finish with this. They ask the way to Zion, for they do not think they know everything, and they are willing to know what they need to know. If a child should offer to tell the way to heaven, they would be glad to hear it. Although the person who might deliver to them the message of salvation should be clothed in the garb of poverty, and although the language might be incorrect and ungrammatical, yet if he should tell them plainly what they must do to be saved, they would be willing to take the treasure even out of a jar of clay. Brothers and sisters, I've sought as plainly as I can to tell you the three R's this morning. Ruin, we're all ruined by the fall. Redemption, perfect redemption. We're going to sing about that in a minute. Perfect redemption. 
the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives and repentance. And when we start turning to Christ and going the right way, we are repenting for the rest of our lives. Thomas Watson said, I'll have one regret when I get to heaven. John is there now, 102, only a drop in the ocean of eternity. Thomas Watson said, I won't be able to shed a tear of repentance when I get to heaven because there'll be no need of repentance. John, John is perfect now. John is worshipping the Savior, standing in glory, seeing him face to face. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there with him? What wonders will be told within the veil? What? But the greatest wonder will be Jesus Christ. I can imagine the children of Israel leaving Babylon. I can imagine them not having much on them because they've uh, uh, had to leave their homes. And I can imagine them talking about one thing. I can imagine them talking again and again about their Redeemer. I can imagine the word Redeemer, which might have not meant anything to them in Babylon. I can imagine that word being so precious to them. Is the name of Jesus precious to you? How sweet the sound. How sweet the sound of Jesus' name in a believer's ear. He saved me, and I'm going to him. And we're a company of people that's going there together. And we want you to join us. And we want to be able to plainly say, Jesus is the way. I've got to finish there, otherwise I'll be going on. We'll sing now to God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. We know this, don't we? 113 if you're listening at home, let's praise our Redeemer.
Father, we praise Thee that it can't get any clearer than that. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Lord, we do want to praise Thee for a full and perfect redemption in Jesus Christ. When we a bankrupt stood, He has paid the debts to the full. And now may his grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.